Good morning, brothers and sisters. I smile because I am your brother. I laugh because there's nothing you can do about it. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about family. Now, the term family gets kicked around a lot. And it can mean different things to different people. We're going to look at what scripture says about family and then how Jesus expanded that concept. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines family as the basic unit in society traditionally consisting of two parents rearing their children. Also, any of various social units differing from but regarded as equivalent to the traditional family. A group of individuals living under one roof and usually under one head, a household. A group of persons of common ancestry, a clan. A people or group of peoples regarded as deriving from a common stock. Or a group of people united by certain convictions or a common affiliation, a fellowship. Well, family is all through the history of God's people. When God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he told them to start a family. Genesis 2.24 said, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, that family could be called the family of man. This notion that some people have that that there are races that are superior or inferior is not only ridiculous, It's also demonic. As someone who believes that God created people in his image, I also believe that means every human being is a descendant of those first humans that God placed in the garden. In a real sense, we're all family. Now, unfortunately, that family has been split up and it's been fractured since almost since the beginning. Because of selfishness and sin. A few hundred years later, God called a a member of one part of that original family and told him to travel. It's interesting. He told Abraham, I want you to go. And we have no record that Abraham said, go where? God didn't really tell him. He just said, just go. I'll show you. The ultimate road trip, I guess. Well, after arriving in the land that God was going to give him, Abraham and Sarah started their family, the family through which God would save the world. Through Isaac and Rebekah, and later Jacob and Leah and Rachel, that family expanded into what became known as Israel. That family grew into a great nation. And after God brought them out of Egypt, he brought this large family into the land promised long ago. There they flourished, mostly. God promised that one would come out of that family who would redeem his people. And in Matthew and Luke, we find the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, tracing his lineage all the way back to that first family in the garden. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about families. In the creation account in Genesis, God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and fill the earth. That means to start a family. When God confronts Cain about murdering Abel, Cain asks, Am I my, excuse me, 
Am I my brother's keeper? Implies a family relationship. God saved Noah and his family. And he called Abram and his family out of the world. And the covenant with Abraham was given to him and to his offspring. And all of the males in the household had to undergo circumcision as a sign of that covenant. The Ten Commandments included two that were specifically related to family. The Fifth Commandment commanded that father and mother be honored. And the Seventh prohibited adultery. These are to protect the family. In Exodus 21:17, God commanded the Israelites that the penalty for cursing parents was death. And Deuteronomy 27.16 states that anyone who dishonored their parents was cursed. And Proverbs 20.20 states that those who curse their parents will have their lamp put out in obscure darkness. Now the book of Proverbs that we've been in for the last few months is filled with wisdom concerning the family. Chapter 14, verse 26 tells us the one who fears the Lord has confidence and that their children will have a refuge. Chapter 15, verse 20 says that a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Pretty strong words. In chapter 23, verses 24 and 25, we read, The father of the righteous and the wise will greatly rejoice and be glad in them. So we should let our parents be glad and rejoicing. Proverbs teaches us that a home where love is makes even a simple dish of vegetables better than the choicest meat. And that a young man's glory is in his strength, while the honor of old men is their gray hair. Hmm, gray hair. Hmm, wonder. Proverbs 13.1 states that a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And in chapter 23, verse 22, the children are told to listen to their father and not despise their mother when she is old. Chapter 28, verse 7 states that a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. Parents are commanded to correct and to discipline their children. And they're encouraged that this discipline will bear good fruit in their lives. Chapter 22, verse 6 says, If we train our children in the way that they should go, they will not depart from it, even in old age. Psalm 103.17 says that the Lord's love is, <coughs> excuse me, is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Psalm 127.3 says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Back in Leviticus 25, there's commands concerning the Sabbath years and the year of Jubilee. Because property was seen as family land 
it was to be returned to its owner in the Jubilee year. If a poor person had to sell some of his land to pay his debts, his nearest redeemer, a relative, was directed to buy it back for him. If a poor Israelite, described in these verses as one of your brothers, had to become a servant in order to pay a debt, he was to be released from that debt during the Jubilee year. So family and family land were very important to the Israelites. It was written into their law code. In 1 Kings 21, we find the story of Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. If you remember the story, Naboth had a vineyard. It had been in his family for who knows how many years. And Ahab wanted it. So Ahab went to Naboth and said, I want to buy your vineyard. Naboth said, that's my family's land. How can I sell you my family's land and essentially sin against my family? And of course, we know the story. Ahab got all hot and bothered, went home crying to his wife Jezebel. Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. And she said, leave it to me. I'll take care of it. And of course, Naboth ended up having false testimony against him. He was killed. Jezebel went back to Ahab and said, vineyard's all yours. And then some pretty nasty things happened to both Ahab and Jezebel, partly because of this. Naboth was a much more righteous man, obviously. So family was very important to God's people. The New Testament also has a lot to say about family. One of the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 3 is that they manage their household, family, as well as servants and so on. Well, chapter 5 of the same epistle, Paul writes that anyone who neglects to provide for his family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I don't know how you can get worse than an unbeliever, but... Don't don't neglect your family and find out. Ephesians 6 is a passage that we parents love to quote to our children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. You know, sometimes we parents forget the rest of that passage. Says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 tells fathers, we're not to exasperate our children so that they don't lose heart. Our Lord himself came into this world As a member of a family. He was born to two parents. One step parent technically. And he grew up learning from them. And obeying them. In Luke 2. We have an interesting account. From Jesus childhood. And it's only found in Luke. 
And I believe it's the only account from Jesus' childhood that we have. Unless you count some of the apocryphal books, which they made them up. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Nowadays, you figure a 12-year-old, he probably just wandered off and got lost or got in some trouble. Well, it wasn't the case with Jesus. Parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, an extended family, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? It's like, what's the big deal? I'm right where I'm supposed to be. They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Here we have the one through whom the worlds were made. And he's putting himself under the authority of two flawed human beings who his father chose to be his parents. In Matthew 15, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees why his disciples broke the tradition of the elders by not ritually washing their hands before eating. His response is found in verses 3 to 6. He answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, you need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. There was a practice that was, was going on in those days. Uh, the word is korban. It's only found in the King James translation of this uh, passage. But what it was, the Pharisees and the, the leaders of the temple had figured out a way to get a little bit more money for the temple. So they told people that you can give us some of your wealth to the temple and say that it's a gift to God, and then you don't have to give it to your parents to take care of them when they're older. So it's kind of a way of you know, putting God ahead of the parents. 
And knowing how the Pharisees and some of the other people in the temple were, it probably went to enrich them in some way. I wouldn't doubt that at all. But they were saying, you could say Corban, or, you know, this is a gift to God, so I don't have to take care of you. And, of course, Jesus said, that's wrong. That's going against the commandments of God to honor your father and mother. So it sounds like family was important to Jesus. And I would say that that is true. Yet the same Jesus who taught that honoring parents is part of the word of God in Matthew 15 said this in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled trying to either explain away what Jesus said or to harden it in such a way that leaders can tell their followers to abandon their parents. Sometimes it happens in some of the cults. These would be more like the modern Pharisees. If you're following God, you don't have to obey your parents or honor them. Well, I believe we have to take Jesus' words here in context. In this passage, Jesus is speaking about counting the cost of following him. The other verses talk about if a man wants to build a tower, he first sits down and figures out how much it's going to cost and all that. If a man wants to go to war, he figures out if his army is going to be able to beat the other army. So he's figuring out the cost here. Jesus wants those who follow him to know what they're getting into. And he doesn't say, as we sometimes tend to uh, give the impression, follow me and everything will be wonderful. He doesn't say that at all. Following Jesus, living by his teaching, giving our allegiance to him as our king is going to cost us. You will get wet on this ride. It may cost the loss of close relationships, even family. In other countries, they know this well. People who put their trust in Christ have been driven from their families and treated as an outcast. It may cost us any number of things, even our life. Being a disciple of Jesus is definitely not for the faint of heart. Such a buzzkill, huh? Well, the news isn't all bad. In Mark 10 to Matthew 19, after the rich man walks away because he couldn't give up his wealth to follow Jesus, causing Jesus to remark on how hard it is to enter the kingdom, Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What will we have? Jesus answers, Anyone who leaves behind houses or brothers and sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundred times more in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit in the next few minutes. In John 3, Nicodemus, or Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. 
He tells this teacher of the law that it's not enough to be born into a human family. He must be born from above. Things have changed. And now God is bringing about something completely different. He's calling out a new family. The members of the old family of Abraham were invited to join. There was no guarantee that they would. We're told in scripture that his people, his own, rejected him. In chapter 1, John says that Jesus' own people, his flesh and blood family, did not receive him. But anyone who did gained the right to be called the children of God. A new, truly human identity has been created, and a new family has been formed, much larger than any families that we would know about today. In Matthew 12 and Mark 3, Jesus' mother and brothers come to a house where Jesus was ministering to the people. This evidently is the second time that they've done this. There's another account where they said, we need to go get him because he's out of his mind. But in this account, they just, they just go and ask for him. So they call for him. And Jesus has told this, and he asks the one bringing the message, well, who are my mother and my brothers? He looks around him at those that are with him and says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There are a number of verses in the New Testament showing that the apostles and the early church saw themselves as a family. In his first letter to the church in Corinth in the letter to the Romans, Paul writes to the brothers. Now, sisters, don't feel left out. Context of many of these verses indicates Paul is writing to both men and women. So it could easily read brothers and sisters. We're told that if we say we love God, but hate our brothers and sisters, we're lying. We're commanded to let brotherly love continue. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2 tells us, do not rebuke an older man. Y'all remember that. But encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. We're to let brotherly love continue and outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 8 tells us that creation itself is waiting for the glory that will be revealed in us when Christ comes again to set all things right. And that all the stuff we go through in this life is being used by our Father to make us like His Son, who is the express image of the Father. Now think about it. How many of you are the express image of your father or mother? I know I certainly have become my father, for better or worse. I have bumps on my head to, uh, to show that. Josh is a lot like me. Sorry about that, Josh. 
We're being made more and more into the image of our Father. Look around you. Our brothers and sisters are image bearers. And one day, they will radiate all the glory of our brother who redeemed us. I think of uh, Pigpen when he talks about walking, being covered in the, the dust of gener- or the thousands of millennia of people that maybe he's covered with the dust of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, kind of makes you want to treat me with more respect, doesn't it? Well, we've got something better. Look around. We are all image bearers of the one true God. Well, brothers and sisters, we are living in, shall we say, interesting times. The only one who knows what will happen in, in the future is the one who holds that future in his hands. I'm not a prophet, nor a son of a prophet, and I don't play one on TV. But I believe that God may be winnowing his church. I firmly believe that in the days or years to come, it will be imperative that we love each other and lay down our lives. Good time to take coffee. Lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Thomas Paine said to the founding fathers, if we don't hang together, we'll surely hang separately. As I've said before, I believe that our time is very much like the first century Roman world. During that time, some spread rumors that the Christians practiced incest because they called each other brother and sister, and cannibalism because they ate the Lord's body. But many of their neighbors knew them as people who shared meals and goods with each other, who were unselfish and loving in their interactions with each other and who also gave sacrificially to those outside of the church who had need. They knew them as the people when a plague hit a city and all the pagans scattered, the Christians stayed and took care of the sick, even if it cost them their lives. I don't know what that future holds for the church as a whole, or for Hill City in particular. But I do know That the Father has called this little group of believers, this little group of Jesus followers, to be a family that shows those around us what love is. Let us be the family of God, as the early Christians were. Let us love, not just in word, but in our hearts and in our actions. If the world around around us gets worse, It's quite possible that we will need each other more than ever. Let's start now.